Welcome to the National Community Church Podcast. We're thrilled to be able to share this weekend's message with you from Dr. Mark Batterson. You can find us on national.cc or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. A few months ago, Laura and I celebrated an anniversary and we celebrated that anniversary in Key West. We had never been there. So I did what tourists do. I took a selfie at mile marker zero. I have two expressions, by the way, blue steel and shock and awe. So that's shock and awe, okay? Now you can drive all the way from the tip of Florida to the top of Maine, 2,369 miles, but it all starts right here at mile marker zero. Okay. Isaiah 55 is mile marker zero. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts, says the Lord. God likens the difference between our thoughts and his thoughts to the expanse of space. Can I have a little bit of fun with this? On September 5, 1977, NASA launched the Voyager 1 from Cape Canaveral, Florida. That space probe has been traveling at 50 times the speed of sound, 38,210 miles per hour for the past 45 years. It is the first spacecraft to reach interstellar space. Now, Voyager 1, and you'll see like a little map in the red, there it is, is 14.5 uh, billion miles from Earth. And that is a tremendous distance, yes? But it's less than one day in light years. As of this weekend, Voyager 1 has traveled 21 hours, 38 minutes, and 58 seconds in light years. Now, the next nearest star is Alpha Centauri, this cluster of stars. Guess what? It's going to take, at the current speed, 70,000 years for Voyager 1 to reach that nearest star after the sun. According to astrophysicists, the co-moving distance of the universe from one side to the other is 93 billion light years. Oh, and it's expanding at the speed of light. That distance is almost unimaginable, incomprehensible. And God says, that's about the distance between my thoughts and your thoughts. So here's a thought. Your best thought on your best day is 93 billion light years short of how great and how good God really is. All of that to say this, your God is too small. When scripture says 
that he is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power at work within us. I think what it's saying is this, you underestimate me by 93 billion light years. Can we give him some praise today? Can we give him, oh God. Welcome to National Community Church, our, our campuses, Capital Turnaround, Lincoln Theater, Nova, uh, our extended family online, and, and again, special welcome to Capital City Church. So excited about where God is going to take us this weekend. You can meet me in the book of James, chapter four, and we'll on-ramp with verse number five. Here's the big idea up front. If you stay humble and stay hungry, there's nothing God can't do in you or through you. Would you just let that get in your spirit today? Does that make your heart skip a beat, quicken your pulse a little bit? If you stay humble and stay hungry, nothing, nothing God cannot do in you or through you, ready or not, here we go. Verse five, the spirit that dwells in us jealously regards us as his own. Now we, we read right over this and part of it is that in all of James, in my opinion, this is the one little statement that is more complicated than some of the others. Like what, what exactly is James saying right here? Well, I'll just shoot straight. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Wait, what? Wait, 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 wait. Yeah, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. This is the game changer. This is where our holy confidence comes from. Without the Holy Spirit, I am below average. Am I in the right room today? But with the Holy Spirit, all bets are off and all things are possible. At the turn of the 20th century, William Booth, founder of the Salvation Army said this, the chief danger that confronts the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost. Christianity without Christ Forgiveness without repentance. Salvation without regeneration. So I'm just gonna go on record today. Anything less than spirit-filled and spirit-led is dead religion. It's not gonna get us where God wants us to go. I have a theory of everything. You know this. The answer to every prayer is more of the Holy Spirit. Pastor Mark, don't we need love? Don't we need love? Absolutely. What, what about joy? Give me a double dose, right? How about peace? Yeah, I'll double down. Give me the peace that passes understanding. But, but follow me. Love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are fruit of the Spirit, which means we need more of the Spirit 
that produces more of the fruit. And we need more of the spirit that produces more of the gifts. Well, how, how does that happen? Here's what I know for sure. The Holy Spirit can't fill you if you're fully yourself. Humility determines our capacity. It's either less of me and more of you. Or it's more of me and less of him. Oh, may we humble ourselves before God so that his spirit can come and fill us. Let's not overcomplicate this today. God goes where he's wanted. Revival is God's response to our hunger. And all it takes is a humble heart. All it takes is a genuine invitation. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Oh man, the song's in my mind right now. Come Holy Spirit, I need you. Come sweet spirit, I pray, come in thy strength and thy power. Come in thine own special way. But we don't get the spirit on our terms. We get the spirit on his terms. Notice what James says next. The spirit that dwells in us jealously, jealously regards us as his own. Our God is a jealous God. We think of that negatively, but jealousy is an expression of God's love. He is jealous for me. Love's like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the wind and mercy of God. Abraham Kuyper, former prime minister of the Netherlands, said there is not a square inch in the whole creation over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. And that includes you. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are a temple. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. Don't read right over this. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Lots of implications, lots of applications. But here, here's the bottom line. Biblically speaking, your body doesn't belong to you. You actually belong to God, not once, but twice. Once by virtue of creation and twice by virtue of redemption. And where I'm going with that is this. Jealousy is God's response to idolatry. Because he, won't, he loves us too much. He won't let us settle for second best. An idol is something that you love more, trust 
more than God. And here is what is so deceptive, so subversive about idolatry that often an idol is something good that becomes God. It's an issue that becomes your identity, a cause that becomes your Christ, a goal that becomes your God. And you end up with an inverted relationship with God instead of serving his purposes. You just want God to serve your purposes. So let me connect the dots. I think the opposite of idolatry is humility. Humility is seeking God first. Humility is giving God veto Power. Humility is waving the white flag. It's surrendering your life, your time, talent, treasure, heart, soul, mind, and strength, past, present, future, to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Verse six. God opposes the proud. Ah, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Now this is a classic good news, bad news. Which do you want first? All right, bad, bad news is, you can be doing the will of God and God can oppose it. Wait, 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 wait. That, that sounds contradictory and it is counterintuitive. But if you do the right thing for the wrong reasons in the kingdom of God, it doesn't even count. God judges the motives of the heart. God wants to bless you. It is his most ancient instinct, but he will not he cannot bless pride. Ah, but there's some good news. He gives grace to the humble. And by the way, there's more where that came from, right? His grace is sufficient. If you stay humble and stay hungry, nothing God cannot do in you or through you. How are we doing? I'm gonna get in our business a little bit this weekend because I believe in your capacity, but I know that the key is humility. And so before we talk about what humility is, let me talk about what it is not. And this is gonna throw you a curveball, okay? Humility is not thinking less of yourself. You are the image of God. You are the apple of God's Ah, you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good work for you. are more than a conqueror. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. To think of yourself as anything less than who you are in Christ is false humility. And it is as debilitating as pride. And false humility just isn't doing anybody any favors. I, I think some of us walk around thinking that humility is just a low self-esteem. <laughs> humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. Well, how do we do that? Glad you asked. 
two ways. One, we think of ourselves by thinking of others more. Hmm, there's an idea. And two, we think of ourselves less by thinking of God more. Let let me prime the pump. So many dimensions, definitions, but I wanna start with a default setting. I, I think humility is filling the gaps with positive assumptions. And let's be honest, we tend to do the opposite. In psychology, it's called the fundamental attribution error. We attribute our mistakes to circumstances, yes? (laughs) Oh, but we attribute other people's mistakes to their character. Mm. Mm. You better pull those toes in today. (laughs) I'm gonna step on them a little bit. I think humility does the opposite. It gives the benefit of the doubt, it gives a second chance. Okay, rule of life, here are the two things that I keep in mind whenever I meet anybody. One, everyone is fighting a battle I know nothing about. And two, and and I beg, borrow, and steal this from Ralph Waldo Emerson. Every person is my superior in some way in that I learn of them. Whoever I meet, I try to, my approach path, tries to, okay, probably fighting a battle I don't know anything about, and so I need an extra measure of grace. And, whoo, they are my superior in some way. What can I learn from them? Okay, let me, let me rapid fire a few of these definitions. Humility is a growth mindset. Humility is a learning posture. Humility is holy curiosity. Humility is checking your ego at the door. Humility is relinquishing your rights. Humility is going the extra mile. Humility is giving someone else the seat of honor. And last but not least, and and this to me is the best definition, humility is washing feet. John chapter 13, verse number three. Jesus knew that the father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the meal and he did the last thing that anybody would have imagined him doing. He took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around them. This was the job reserved for the lowest ranking servant. When Jesus said the greatest of all is a servant of all, he was not blowing smoke. He didn't just talk the talk. He walked the walk and please hear me. He he knew he had authority over everything. When you understand your authority in Christ, you don't have to one up everybody else. When you find your identity, when you find your security in a relationship with God, now you can just wash feet. I'm gonna play a wrist chip today. I wanna do something I've never done. I feel like washing feet. Adam, I'm gonna invite you to come. Caught him about two minutes before the service. You come on up here. Um, Adam Mayer is a dear friend of decades, part of this church. Uh, 
Backstory, we would not own Ebenezer's coffee house if it weren't for Adam. Um, I'm gonna invite you to just take a seat right here, Adam. And he, here's, he, here's what I love. Um, can, I, can I brag on you, not behind your back, but right to your face? <laughs> Adam, I know very few people in this city that have loved our friends experiencing homelessness more than you. He has the biggest heart in his chest. You've helped so many people find housing, but also find dignity. And so it's an honor for me to wash your feet. I've never done it, so I don't really know. (laughs) Come on, here. Let me get this foot. Let me put your foot right there. We'll roll this up just a little bit. Let me get this one too, Adam. Here we go. I'm gonna tell you a story while I do this. Many years ago, I had a, I had a dream and it's only one of three or four dreams that I don't attribute to what I ate the night before. <laughs> that I, I really feel like it was a dream that God gave me. And in that dream, um, it was almost like the scene was playing in front of me. I'm gonna take this foot right here. And uh, I'm gonna try not to, try not to tickle you. <laughs> and I'm, I'm washing your feet and Hamai's feet. In Jesus' name. And so in this dream, I'm gonna put your foot right over here. I'm gonna take this foot. In that dream, I saw Pilate washing his hands. He knew Jesus was innocent. He knew it. But he tried to absolve himself of guilt by washing his hands. The problem with that is this, inaction is an action, and indecision is a decision. It was a sin of silence, it was a sin of omission. And that's when in the dream, I I heard this voice, and it was so clear, and the voice said, don't wash your hands like Pilate, wash feet like Jesus, and I woke up. How many arguments could we end? How many conflicts could we resolve? How many relationships could we restore if we just did what Jesus did? Like, it's hard to get in an argument with someone that's washing your feet, right? (laughs) May God help us. I'm gonna put this foot right here. We're gonna get these back on the right foot. Let's see if we can do that. Can we do it? Do you wanna do it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, I'm, here we go. I, I, okay, this one I actually opened the shoelaces. Let's do this. There we go. Now, I'm gonna let you go in a second. I wanna share one footnote. Thank you. 
I worked so hard on this and that one, that one, you caught it. Um, Go back and read John 13, the verse before the verse that we started in. Judas sells his soul to the devil. Jesus knows that he is going to betray him in a matter of minutes, but Jesus doesn't cancel Judas. Jesus washes his feet. What I'm getting at is this. I just think we're called to wash each other's feet across political lines, across racial tensions, across all of these things that divide us. Can we be people who wash each other's feet? Amen? Thank you, thank you, love you. Great thing. All right, all right. Except I didn't tie them, be careful. (laughs) Mm. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking more of others. Two. We think of ourselves less by thinking of God more. And, and I might add, thinking more of God. Well, Pastor Mark, how do, how do we do that? Short answer, worship. Eugene Peterson defines worship as the strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves. Two weeks ago during House of Prayer, was kneeling at the altar right over here. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, take the ceiling off. It was so distinct. I wrote it in my journal, started praying into it. And the Lord took me to Genesis 15. Abraham been waiting on God for 25 years. God had promised him a son, but it seemed like the ship had sailed. The biological window of opportunity had closed. I mean, come on, Sarah's 90, Abraham's 100. And you can feel the frustration in his voice when he says, what can you give me since I remain childless? Abraham did what we do. Instead of focusing on all that God had done for Abraham, He was blessed beyond. He focuses on the one thing that frustrated him. God blessed Abram hundred ways. Abraham said, you have given me no children. Then the word of the Lord came to him. You will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Can I just say this? Don't put a period where God puts a comma. It's not over until God says, it's over. Verse 15, or verse five. Then the Lord took him outside and said, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. So shall your offspring be. Now, this is a two foot field trip. Abraham inside the tent. God invites him outside the tent. It literally is like one step, right? Inside, I'm inside, now I'm outside. Why, why would God take Abraham on a two-foot field trip? Because as long as Abraham was inside the tent, he's staring at an eight-foot ceiling. 
How many of us today have put an eight foot ceiling on God? But the second he steps outside and looks up, now the sky is the limit. Remember Alpha Centauri? 70,000 miles to get there, remember? It's one of 300 billion stars in the Milky Way. And the Milky Way is one of two trillion galaxies, each of which have hundreds of billions of stars. What I'm getting at is this. This, if taken literally, is the hardest command in the entire Bible. I did the math. If you count one star per second, just in the Milky Way, it would have taken Abraham 10,000 years to count these stars. Humility is taking the ceiling off of God. See, I think we think the opposite, like, well, I'm just, there's, it's, you know, there's too, so much, too much wrong with me. Like there's pride and it's like all my, and we get so consumed with ourselves. And I don't think humility has nearly as much to do with that as it does just, oh God, creator of the heavens and the earth, alpha and omega, ancient of days, wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace. Holy, holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. Now, as we begin to think more of God, now it just puts ourselves in perspective. And now we have the faith to believe God for the impossible. Abram believed God. Verse six, and it was credited to him as righteousness. This is another sermon for another day, but love is our calling card. Faith is our credit card. We need to exercise our faith. We need to exercise our authority, but we need to do it with humility. And so humility, in a sense, is trusting God against all odds. Long story short, uh, Abraham and Sarah have a son, Isaac. And Isaac has a son, Jacob. And Jacob... Far from perfect, right? But after a wrestling match, God changes his name and calls him Israel. Don't miss this. Sarah didn't just have a son in her womb. Sarah had a nation in her womb. You were in Sarah's womb. Well, Pastor, whoa, 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 whoa. Slow down. No, no. Romans 11. If you are in Christ, you are a child of Abraham. Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Abraham, right? I'm one of them, so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm. <laughs> Whew. False humility is thinking less of yourself. True humility is thinking more of God. I'm gonna try to go fast. We're gonna, 
land this thing, but we think we know what we need. But can I tell you what we really need? We need a revelation of God's glory. We need to be undone by the glory of God. Isaiah 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Uzziah had reigned for 52 years, long, one of the longest reigning kings, only king that most of Israel had ever known. This is hard to say, but sometimes something has to die. The thing that we trust the most has to be taken away for us to get a revelation, to find identity and security in God. The train of his robe filled the temple, loved this imagery. Ancient kings would wear robes, but those robes were more like a quilt because when they would conquer another king, that king's robe of the defeated foe would be cut up and sewn into the conquering king's robe. And so the larger the robe, right? When the train of God's robe fills the temple, what's happening here? Well, he is defeated sin and death. And I would suggest you are his trophy. You are a trophy of grace. That when you surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, it's almost like God takes that testimony and let's sew another one into my robe. May the glory of God fill his temple. And above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. With two, they were flying and they were calling to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. At the sound of their voices, the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe is me, said Isaiah. I am undone. Just dial in for two more minutes. We have lost the woe of God because we've lost the wow of God. A.W. Tozer said, a low view of God is the cause of a hundred lesser evils. A high view of God is the solution to 10,000 temporal problems. I just... At House of Prayer a few weeks ago, I just, this determination that no matter what it is, no matter what it is, I'm gonna praise over it. You can come at me, you can do whatever, I'm gonna praise over it. It's gonna be a hard situation, long road, I'm gonna praise over it, God. The things I don't understand, I'll tell you what, wasn't planning on this. This is the last passage my father-in-law ever preached. On a Sunday morning, he said, if something needs to die for God's glory to be revealed, and two days later, he's in a casket And it was during that season, I learned to keep praising. I'm gonna keep worshiping. 
I'm going to keep praising. I'm going to praise over it, God. The Lord gives. The Lord takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Humility is giving God reverence. Humility is giving God full attention, full affection, full devotion. Humility, and this is, this is where I end. Humility is joining this ancient chorus. Holy, holy, holy. The angels are singing it in Isaiah 6. They're still singing it in Isaiah 4. Day and night they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And it says they lay their crowns before the Lord. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And for thy pleasure they were created. We're gonna worship in a moment. We're actually gonna sing that chorus. We're gonna join that angelic choir. We're gonna sing the song that's being sung right now. But I, I, I'm one last thing. Leonard Bernstein, former conductor of the New York Philharmonic, said the best translation of Genesis 1-3 is not, and God said, but, and God sang. According to physicists, every atom in the universe sings a unique song. I mean, technically, it emits and absorbs energy at a unique frequency. We know this. According to the science of bioacoustics, billions of songs being sung all the time, whale songs that travel 10,000 miles underwater, meadowlarks with a range of 300 notes, Super sensitive sound machines have found that even earthworms make faint staccato sounds. All of creation is singing this ultrasonic, infrasonic song to the God who sang them into existence. So when we worship the Lord, it's not like we're just in a vacuum beginning to sing to God. No, we're singing to the God who sang us into existence. And right now, he is rejoicing over you with singing Zephaniah 317. Can you hear it? Can you hear him sing? He is singing songs of deliverance all around us all the time. Psalm 32, seven. I say, we sing back to the God who sings over us. In Jesus' name, amen.